Welcome to In the Hot Seat with the Tenney Group. I'm Spencer Tenney. It's good to be with you. Headline, are ESOPs really more complex and costly than other ways to sell a business? It's a great question, and I've got a great guest to address it this morning. Andy Mancher from KSM is with us. Andy, welcome to Hot Seat. Hey, thank you, Spencer. Glad to be here. Well, before we heat things up a little bit, why don't you just take 30 seconds and tell us a little bit about your role at KSM and what you're doing over there. You bet. I'm a partner with KSM, which is an accounting and consulting firm based in Indianapolis, Indiana. We have an extensive transportation practice group providing you know, accounting, you know, audit and tax services, but also several consulting services. My specialty or focus is business valuation and helping clients who want to establish an employee stock ownership plan or ESOP. All right, let's jump right in here. Before we kind of unpack a little bit of that initial question, let's first start with what is an ESOP? Sure, I'll explain the acronym. It's, it stands for Employee Stock Ownership Plan. That's an employee benefit plan that a company sponsors to allow the employees to become shareholders in the place they work. And so this ESOP plan becomes the owner of the stock and as employees join the company and continue to work there, they become not just employees, but employee owners and have all the benefits of ownership. I think what's fascinating about this conversation is that so many of our industry peers within trucking and logistics have a desire to um, allow their employees that help build a business participate in, in, in some aspect of their industry exit. And a lot of them see an ESOP as, as one of those viable options, but there's a lot of misunderstandings. So, so, let's, so let's just start there. What are one or two really common misunderstandings as it relates to ESOPs? Sure. I think what I've encountered when talking to people who have maybe heard of the ESOP concept but haven't really worked in one or, or, or seen one in practice is that, you know, this is too expensive for the employees. You know, like how are we going to expect these employees to buy the stock in the place they work? And I can kind of help disprove that misconception by explaining how the stock is purchased. The stock is purchased inside a plan and trust. And so it's kind of like a leveraged buyout of the stock where the ESOP buys all the stock as a block. Employees don't come out of pocket for it at all. You know, we're used to thinking, okay, a 401k plan, I gotta make contributions out of my paycheck. There's no paycheck deferral for an ESOP plan. This is, uh, you know, a purchase made on the employee's behalf. You know, that block of stock is purchased by the plan and trust. And then over many years, the stock gets allocated to each of the employee owners at a company. The longer they work, the larger their stock account uh, becomes. No, I think that's a really good clarification there. So what are some of the characteristics? Um, you know, you and your team at KSM process a lot of inquiries about ESOPs. So what are the characteristics of folks that actually get to the point of putting that into um, reality? What, what yeah. are the characteristics of the company that, that tend to be a good fit for that particular exit channel? You bet. What we often see, Spencer, is this is a good fit when we've got one or more owners who's approaching retirement, You know, so they're starting to think about what that succession plan is going to be for themselves. But they have a capable management team in place that's maybe already running certain key functions of the business without them. You know, they've already started to build that team around them that can run the place. That's an important part of an ESOP structure that works mm -hmm. because that one or more selling shareholders, 
you know, want to leave the business as part of the sale. And if they need to sell the business to a third party to replace all the key services or functional roles they play, that makes them more of a candidate for a third party sale. But if they've got that leadership team already on the bus, as it were, uh, they can be a good employee owned business. Mm-hmm. And secondly, remember I talked about that plan buying the stock on behalf of the employees? Right. That's a leveraged buyout. We've got to have a company that has the profits and the borrowing capacity to effectuate that kind of leveraged purchase of the owner or owner's stock. And so the nature of transportation is, right, we got a lot of uh, debt maybe already on the balance sheet for our right. tractors or trailers or equipment. And so that's still going to be the case for employee-owned companies. But they have to make sure there's enough carved out space to do some borrowing, uh, either from the bank or third party, or from the seller themselves as a seller note provider, to uh, to allow that ESOP plan to buy the stock from them. I think it's a great point. I mean, that just in itself, just in terms of your available borrowing capacity, will tell you pretty quickly whether or not you're going to be a candidate for the product. And so, um, so true. So, so a, a great point. So let's talk about the benefits. I mean, so people. They, in general, like, hey, this this may afford me the ability to bless my employees in a meaningful way. But can we unpack that a little bit? What 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 are some of the primary benefits that maybe some people don't even realize that come along with ESOPs? Sure. I think the nice thing, Spencer, is that the tax code's written to encourage these ESOP formations. And so there's tax benefits put in place, some for the selling shareholder and some for the employee-owned company. That selling shareholder, depending on how their entity is structured, might be able to defer the capital gain on the sale of the stock that's acquired by the ESOP plan. And that's a great benefit. Also, depending on how you structure your ESOP deal, you may may have a circumstance where your ESOP company uh, has a great tax favorable position and doesn't have to pay income taxes, either at the entity level or at the pass-through level to the benefit plan, because this is a retirement plan. Uh, The employee owners at my company, KSM, enjoy this benefit where We're not taxed in the current period, but when I and other employee owners retire, we'll be taxed on our ESOP benefits then. But boy, you talk about a powerful tax deferral. Uh, The employee owners are able to grow the value of their investment in the company in a tax-deferred way for many years while they work and help the company grow. I think that's great. So let's flip that coin to to the drawbacks because... um, that, that, that always comes with, with, with both. So what are some of the things that are not as positive that people considering this as an option definitely need to know? Yeah, since I work in our business valuation practice, I often explain the difference to our clients between fair market value of your business and perhaps a strategic value. An ESOP can only pay the fair market value of your stock on an appraised basis. And so it's more of like what a willing buyer, willing seller would pay And sometimes, as you've seen, Spencer, there's a company that has a strategic benefit to some other company. The one plus one equals three, right? The ESOP is not that kind of buyer, so a strategic buyer might be able to pay a higher price, you know, to that selling shareholder. Mm -hmm. And so that could be a drawback if the objective is to get that highest price out there from a strategic sale. But offsetting that is the fact that ESOPs can buy stock, whereas most transactions and third-party sales and transportation companies certainly involve the sale of assets. So talk through it with your, your advisors and look at the numbers right. to see if that fair market value, strategic value difference is as important as it sounds like. 
I'm glad that you brought that out because, you know, so many times it's important to be talking about net proceeds because the way that we're talking about from a total consideration, that may not necessarily be what you what you experience. And even outside of ESOP, if we're just talking about a stock purchase or asset purchase, um, it, it's key to get with your advisors, whoever's at the table, and to find out what does that actually mean for you. And so I think that's a, a really great point. So one of the things that... Um, you know, when, from a preparation standpoint, this kind of leads into that. We're, we're constantly educating as, as you are in the marketplace with trucking and logistics. Um, start much earlier than, than what you think because, because you have many more options than you probably think as, as possible channels to exit and, and uh, transfer ownership of your business to a party. And the more you educate yourself, the more likely you have the ability to execute on one of those options and understand what's the best fit. So what, is it, what are some of the best practices um, that you see as far as doing some homework about ESOPs and other ways? If you think about the E of ESOP, it stands for employee. You know, One of the things I really encourage those business owners and, and the advisors to the business owners to do is help them think about who are the employees that, that are key around them. How do we attract and then more importantly retain those key employees? Now, it's easy to just think that salary or, or bonus and, of course, compensation in those forms is a part of it. But maybe it's offering an employment agreement and maybe some deferred compensation. Or maybe it's some agreement where those key employees have stay bonuses or um, compensation arranged around a, uh, an exit event, you know, so that they can help the owner or owners get to that point in time. So many of the ESOP transactions I work on, Spencer, a big piece at the end we always work on is what are the employment agreements that we should have those key employees sign because so few of them have one before we walk in the door and work on the transaction. And if I'm a business owner, I want to, you know, we've spent all this time thinking about acquiring all these tangible assets that are a part of our business, but we've got these super valuable intangible assets of our employees. What can we do to attract and, re and more importantly, retain them? It's a great point. So one of the things I want to talk about, you know, we talk about, you know, functioning as a leveraged buyout. What is different about the about default the the probability of defaulting on that note versus the risk associated with an outside transfer? Sure, I think that you know since an ESOP is a leveraged buyout, we have to be mindful of how much debt we're taking on, and so an important part of what KSM does for the client is model how that looks for your balance sheet and for your cash flows. Do some feasibility, you know, run the numbers and see how it looks. I've had some ESOP deals that we work on, Spencer, where we say, you know what, the, this ESOP plan might eventually own the entire company, but it doesn't have to own 100% of the equity. The employees can own a share of the equity along with you or other people. And so we've done partial ESOPs as a starting transaction, or sometimes mm -hmm. the only transaction, because right. that way we're not tacking too much debt onto the balance sheet. It mm -hmm. uh, is a affordable and cash flowing thing but then it allows the employer, the trucking company, to give stock as an employee benefit to the people, reward them for helping create the value for them in the first place. And a key I've seen in transportation, Spencer, is you've got clients, as KSM does, all around the country. The nature of trucking and transportation is not an industry that's concentrated in the big cities of America. It's often in the small and mid-sized uh, cities and towns around our country. And selling to an ESOP, allows that headquarters and those jobs to stay local. I've seen that be a motivator 
for several of my clients that have formed an ESOP. That's the kind of thing you can't just quantify. We're always in the business of quantifying dollars and cents, but that's an intangible benefit that's of great value to so many business owners. You know, we, we had a client a while back, and it was um, same, it was same type of thing. It wasn't an ESOP, but basically it was the difference between going with one strategic versus another. Yep. And one, one was offering another $10 million, but it was when we were going to require the relocation of, you know, many of, of the higher um, compensated employees, which would directly affect the town. And so he's like, hey, if I, who cares if I get another $10 million? I'm not moving. And I still have to look these people in the eye right. in this town uh, in terms of what that created. And, and that's such a universal um, consideration for a lot of folks across the trucking space from, who, in, from in my experience, are significantly uh, focused on the interest of others as part of this um, and, and, and trying to do right by everybody to, to the best of their ability. I, I fully agree. And I think it's a, yeah. a key factor here that we should point out, you know, that can be a good part of selling your company through this ESOP alternative instead of just the third party. And some of that's thinking through what are your objectives as the seller? You know, what, what really makes you tick and what, what do you see as your legacy, right? Um, mm -hmm. You know, those legacy factors will be stronger for some owners than others, uh, depending on how long you've owned the company or, like you said, you know, are they resident in that town and will see all these, these folks every day? Um, you know, those are factors that I like to help the owner think about ahead of time. You know, if the owner thinks through their objectives, advisors like, like you, Spencer, and, and, and KSM can help them find the right tactical solution to get mm -hmm. those objectives met. But spend time thinking about what are your true objectives? Is it just to maximize after-tax cash flows? Is it that plus other things? And let's prioritize them. And like you said, there may be a number at which you're you know, willing to say, hey, I, that's a trade-off I don't want to make. So let me take us back to the initial headline of our interview, talking about um, the cost and, and the complexity bees, complexities being too great for people to actually uh, consider, giving a serious consideration. So, so what, let's talk about that in terms of setting up the ESOP uh, or what have you. What, what are the greatest complications and complexities that people should be aware of? Yeah, you know, what we're doing, Spencer, is we're creating an employee benefit plan that is the purchaser of the stock. And so that creation of the benefit plan means there's some legal costs, some administrative costs, both to form the ESOP and to run it afterwards every year and administer the plan. So that is a cost that isn't there in third-party sales. But what you, what you do have is that, like I said, there may be tax advantages of this ESOP that are unique to its sale that aren't there for other, other sales. And so what I've always said is, look at those costs, but look at those benefits. And another key point is, this is a costly benefit plan to establish, but then if you think about it, if you have, I've had smaller ESOP companies, Spencer, where it's 30 to 40 employees, but let's say, let's add a zero to that, 300 or 400 employees between your drivers and your front office and your sales and dispatch and maintenance. The irony is there's not many incremental costs you know, to do the 300 or 400 person ESOP compared to the 30 or 40 person ESOP. So while there's costs involved, the larger your organization, the more you're able to spread those costs over the, the employee base and have it be a sensible trade-off for the benefits you're getting from it. Great stuff there. 
So uh, we'll, we'll wrap with a little bit of a wild card here, Andy. So, so um, we were talking offline a little bit, um, you know, a very um, just highly respected journalist, that being Ron Burgundy. And uh, <laughs> so, so tell well, us. I got all uh, my media training from watching. It's, it's, it's exactly. So tell, tell, tell us um, what would be your favorite scene in Anchorman. Yeah, I think it's the scene where uh, in the um, you know production office at the TV station, they're talking about you know Will Ferrell's character Ron Burgundy, and they say he will read anything you put in front of him. You know, <laughs> and, and so as someone that does a lot of presentations, talking about business valuation, talking about ESOPs, I can kind of relate to that. You know, so I, I <laughs> you know, I, I'm glad you didn't put something in front of me to say that made me, you know, didn't put a question mark by it to say I'm Andy Mancher. You know, we didn't have any yeah. moments like that so far in the hot seat. So, well, uh, I, there, I, I guess there's I survived. Always, there's always the editing process. You never know what Uh-oh. will actually come out there. <laughs> so, <laughs> hey, but listen, Andy, I really appreciate you um, taking time out of your day to help educate our network. This was excellent. Uh, that's going to do it for us here in the hot seat. We will see you next time.